You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Holy Spirit, would you meet us here? We thank you so much that you promised to be here when we're gathered together in your name, especially on a day like this, where we are celebrating the central point of our faith, that Christ raised from the dead, victorious over death and sin and Satan. Would you help us in that spirit to read this story in a way that's not just history, but personal, that hits us personally, transformationally in our own hearts and minds. And we'll be careful to give you praise and thanks for your goodness in our life today. And we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are doing Easter, Easter together. Easter, Easter. This is what we are doing today. We're celebrating victory over death. As always, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to send them at any time. I try to make this as much of a dialogue as possible, and so uh, there's a way to contact me right here. It's also going to be uh, in your bulletin if you need that. Feel free to text me if you have any questions or comments or answers to any questions that I pose. But with that, let's get into God's Word. you got a Bible in front of you. Will you get that Bible out and bust it open? Page 761. 761. Turn with me to 761. We're at the end of Matthew, if you brought your own Bible. 761. And as we read it, I have three points, as always, and they are summed up in this way. I want us to pay attention to see language, like with our eyes. I want us to pay attention to joy language, and I want us to pay attention to go language. That's going to be my three points. I think that's what's most seen in this passage. See, joy, go. It's going to be on the screen if you don't got a Bible, but I like opening the book anyways. Starting with verse 1. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. Look! This word is in the Greek, edu. It means like behold, or just look, behold is sea language too. Look, there was a great earthquake for an angel from the Lord came down from heaven. Coming to the stone, he rolled it away and he sat upon it. The language here really is that he hovered over it, but I'll let him sit on it on this version. Now his face was like lightning. This is one of the only depictions of angels we get in the New Testament. Listen, his face was like lightning, right? And his clothes were white as snow, the guards were so terrified of him that they shook with fear and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid. I mention this every year. Every time an angel shows up, don't be afraid. Now you know why. Face like lightning, clothes white as snow. A mega earthquake just happened. Don't be afraid to the women, he says. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. That's Jesus' identity marker, the one who was crucified. He isn't here because he's raised from the dead, just as he said. Come, see the place 
where they laid him. See the place where they laid him. Now hurry, go tell his disciples he's been raised from the dead. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there. I've given this message to you with great fear and excitement. The word excitement there is mega joy. With mega joy, they hurried away from the tomb and ran to tell the disciples. But Jesus met them and greeted them. They came and grabbed his feet and they worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them also, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. Listen, this week, that line is the line. I don't even have time for it in my sermon. But that's the line that brought me to tears. That Jesus just experienced death and went into hell and liberated captives held there. And he comes back to life on Easter morning and he calls these 12 guys he's been spending time with. His brothers. This is still family. Even through hell and death and the grave and being raised to new life, go tell the brothers. I love it. My brothers, right? I am going to Galilee. They will what? See me there. And so is the word of God for the people of God on this Easter morning. As always, I preach head, heart, hands. Three points, something for us to know with our head, feel or experience in our heart, and do with our hands. I think this gives us a holistic faith that moves throughout our body and into the world because if we don't do this, it gets stuck. Some people are too head-oriented. Some people are too heart-oriented. But if we can get it moving like water, like a river, we won't get stagnant. We'll have a holistic faith that moves to us and through us. And so I always ask the question when I read a passage, what does God want us to know, feel, and do? And here, this Easter Sunday, what does God want us to know? For me, it's that when you see the invisible, you can do the impossible. Remember all that go language. Remember all that do language. But also remember all that see language. There's a connection between seeing and doing, looking and going. When you see what's really going on, you can do anything. That's what I'm getting out of this passage. Look what Jesus says. He's been raised, this is the angel, he's been raised from the dead, just as he said, come see the place where they laid him. Go, Jesus tells them, I skip, to tell my brothers, I'm going into Galilee, they will see me there. Nine times in our 10 verses that we just read, see language, look language, behold language, appearance language. Nine times in 10 verses. We are getting deep into this text. We are getting deep into God's word. We are just getting in the mix of it. And, I, and what we get into when we see down there is Jesus really wants us to see. Do we have eyes to see what's happening on this day? It is something huge, but it's also something subtle, which I would expect nothing less from Jesus. What do I mean by subtle? The angel gets more stage time than Jesus. Angel's got an earthquake and lightning and snowy clothes or whatever. I don't know what's going on. And he's hovering, and he's got like eight sentences. Jesus has like three sentences, and there's no lightning, and there's no... It's very subtle. There's a lot of subtlety going on. And so the language in this story is emphasizing see because because don't miss it. Don't miss it. Like they don't even really describe the resurrection. There's no account of Jesus like in the tomb standing up. It's all very subtle. And so Matthew invites us deeper to see see what does Matthew want us to see? I got three things quickly that I think he wants us to see. Number 1, that Christianity isn't blind faith. No one is asking you to have blind faith. 
No one is asking you to put your nose to the grindstone and just trudge it out and do your best to believe. The angel says, come see where he used to be. See, see, see. And then the women encounter Jesus on the road. Jesus isn't asking for blind faith, but he is asking for faith that can see the invisible and the subtle. Number two, the passage wants you to know that this is the first day of the week. And that is code. That's a metaphor. Something new has happened. This isn't the first day of the week, Sunday, according to Jewish calendar and our calendars. It's, it's not just the first day of the week. It's the first day of forever. It's the first day of a brand new world. It's the first day of what the Bible calls new creation. And Jesus is the bringer of that and the first experiencer of that. But he also wants to pass it on to you. That's what God wants you to see. And number three, look, there was an earthquake. A mega shake, the word says in the Greek. There was an earthquake. Uh, and an angel came down, and the guards were so terrified that they shook. They shook with fear, and they became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, not to the guards. The guards have plenty to be afraid of. But he says to the women, don't be afraid. The guards are like the dead when the dead Jesus is rising. There's a great reversal happening Jesus isn't just coming back to life. It's the first day of the week. He's overturning everything. Death no longer has the sting and the power that it once did. And those agents of death, the empire, the religious systems of the world that, suck, that, that just oppress and push down and marginalize, they are becoming like dead men. This isn't just that the guards got scared of an angel. This is a great reversal happening where the agents of death, the guards here, represent all the things that represent death. It's a great reversal that's happening where, where Jesus is conquering death and the servants of death, the agents of death, are becoming like the dead. They no longer have the power that they once did. Do you see? Do you see? Can you look and see what Jesus is doing on this day? When you see the invisible stuff that's going on in Easter, anything is possible. Anything is possible. I'll tell you a story about my life. I used to live in this house. It was not a good time in my life. In fact, it was the hardest week of my life when I lived in this house. I lived there for a long time, but the one week there was just the absolute hardest. First, uh, my mom left my dad in this house. She had always said growing up, if I had two cents in a car, I'd be out of here. And we all laughed. We thought it was very funny. <laughs> Mom's mad again. And then she bought a car. The first time, and she left. She was not playing around. That whole time, we laughed at her. She got a car, and she left. My dad found that car, and he burned it to the ground. Trying to get her to come back didn't work. I don't know if you know, guys. Not a great tactic. <laughs> that was the most I was abusing alcohol. I was about 13, and I started to drink alone. And uh, that was not fun. That felt like a pretty low point in my life. I would get a homeless guy to take some money in and go to a store and get me some, something to drink. That I stole the money from the people that were dealing drugs in my own house. We had no water or power in our house, which water's a big deal because it's hard to flush the toilet. And then also I was in seventh grade, and it's hard to not shower when you're in seventh grade. So it was just a lot of deodorant. Not just, it was just all over, right? 
And then one day, about two days after my mom had died, the drug lab in the house blew up. And I saw walls just bent. And uh, the, the scariest thing I think I'd ever seen. And the guy who was in the room doing it came out, and, and the skin was peeling off his face. And he's writhing in pain. I'm 13 years old. And the adults in the house, because there's about four families who live in this house, um, they gather together to try to come up with a plan because they can't just send this guy to the hospital because somebody might get interested in what happened. And there's kids here, and no one wants to go to jail, and no one wants kids taken away. And so they had to figure out a story to tell the hospital so that no one got suspicious. And this guy's writhing on the ground crying because his skin is peeling off, and they're trying to figure out how to save their own behinds. And I am flooded with anxiety. I don't know what to do. They finally decided to tell uh, them, the hospital, that he was trying to burn some trash and leaves, and the gasoline container caught fire, which I thought was a pretty good story, actually. Uh, but I, I don't know what to do. There is so much agent of death around me. Divorce, addiction, poverty. I am, at this point, the most flooded with anxiety I ever, I've ever been. And then I see my little brother. And he's there, and he's younger, and he looks at me without a care in the world. This is how he rolls. Just everything rolls off his back. And he says, James, I'm hungry. And I went, let's go get something to eat. And so I went into the kitchen, and there wasn't anything but a bag of flour and a bag of sugar. And so I tried to make some pancakes. They were the worst pancakes you ever saw. I tried to make some syrup by putting some water and sugar together and boiling it a little bit. Uh, it might have been the best meal I ever had. Because in the midst of all that death, the dying of relationships and the dying of people and the dying of addiction and just the impoverishment, there's a little kid who looked at me and I looked at him and we sat down and we ate together and we got some life in us. And I just really felt like it pulled me out of one of the worst moments of my life. It pulled me out of one of the worst moments because he looked at me and I looked at him and I just felt like in that moment, when I thought everything was done for, when I thought there was no hope for any of it, when he looked at me and I looked at him, I, I just felt like we we're going to be okay. We have to be okay. We've got to make it. There's more than just my own anxiety here. There's more than just my own issues here. It was the seeing of him in the midst of all of that death that really pulled me through. And I think this is what Jesus is inviting us to in this Easter morning. That in the midst of all that death, these agents, these guards, this tomb, this crucifixion, this cross, this bloody, horrible, shameful death where you suffer under the weight of your own body and just suffocate, you cannot breathe anymore. In the midst of all of that death, from empire to religion to crosses to tombs, he invites us to look, to see past the death around us, and to see life, to see the author of life, which is what Acts calls Jesus. I think we're all facing agents of death. Maybe it is divorce, broken relationships. Maybe it is addiction. Maybe it's just your phone. I've been listening to this new album, and this guy says, every time I look at my phone, I feel like I'm walking through the shadow of the valley of death. And I'm like, yeah, sometimes. Never gotten off of that and felt better. Maybe it's weight. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's job. I don't know what it is. But maybe sometimes it just feels like a little bit like dying. And Jesus invites us to look, 
that they don't have to destroy us. They don't, I mean, they just have to get us to stop looking at Jesus. That's, that's their only goal. And if they don't have to destroy us, all they have to do is distract us from looking and seeing what Jesus is actually doing. But Jesus invites us to look deeper, to see what's really going on, to see Jesus there with life, with abundant life. But it's subtle, it's subtle, it's subtle. And Matthew does not want you to miss it. And you can miss it. And you know a bunch of people that have missed it. They are dealing with death all the time. What does God want us to feel? That's my next question that I ask as I read these passages. And the feeling language in here is fear and joy. I want to talk about joy. And I want to talk about how joy is a focus before it's a feeling. At least in this passage, joy is a focus before it is a feeling. You will see Jesus there, the angel says. You will see him there. I've given you this message with great fear and excitement. The word here is mega. I love it. The Greek word is literally mega. It's li- I'm not just making that up to sound like I'm saying mega. It's literally mega. Mega karas. They hurried away from the tomb with this joy. Everything in Jesus' death and resurrection is mega. Mega, 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 mega. Jesus with a loud voice, a megaphone. You know megaphone. That's what it says in the Greek. With a loud voice, he cries out from the cross twice. And then they rolled a mega stone in front of the tomb. It's not just a stone. It's a mega stone. And then the next morning, there's a mega earthquake, and these women have mega joy. God wants you to see the subtlety of this day that changes everything so that you too can experience mega joy. Because as the Bible tells us, The Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And if that's true, if the joy of the Lord is our strength, then you have a spiritual enemy named Satan who wants to take your joy, wants to rob you of that strength. And you have to steal it back. You have to guard it and protect it. Jesus wants you to have it. This day oozes with it, but there's a lot of things trying to steal your joy. And one of the ways I think Satan steals our joy is he tries to convince us that we can have joy We can have the feeling of joy without the focus of joy. We just get to have the warm, fuzzy feelings. But the Bible invites us to see, to look, to keep our eyes fixated on the one who is the author of life. The women were joyful because their focus was Jesus. They didn't come to find joy. They came to find Jesus, right? They came to see his tomb, the place where he used to lay. Now they're going to tell the brothers and sisters about Jesus, and then they're going to see Jesus there. They didn't come to get joy. They came to see Jesus and they got joy. Their goal wasn't joy, it was Jesus, and they get both. Sometimes we want joy without Jesus. I don't think you can have it that way. I don't think that's how it works. You might get happiness sometimes, but joy is more than the happy clappies, right? They're like, how you doing? Just too blessed to stress. And people who say that, I'm like, this person needs to talk to somebody. That feels like shallow happiness more than joy. Too blessed to stress. If I ever say that to you, I am struggling. I'm on the struggle bus. The women were also both afraid and mega joyful. It can be both. Joy encompasses a wide range of emotions. This isn't just happy, clappy, shallow happiness. This is deep, abiding joy. We're not just talking about toxic positivity. 
We're not asking you to put on a happy face all the time and lie to people and to everyone you're doing fine. The women were afraid and joyful at the same moment. You can be a couple things too. If the Bible's letting these people do it, surely you can. Joy allows for all kinds of emotions. But ultimately, what joy knows is that God is good and that Easter means that God is victorious and that Jesus doesn't waste your pain. It's not that you can't acknowledge your pain. You can be afraid. You can be sad. You can be angry. But joy, the abiding joy of Easter in Jesus knows that pain and hardness and difficulties will not be wasted. This is John Newton, if you don't know. John Newton grew up, didn't know Jesus, 1700s, 1800s, became uh, an enslaver. It was his job. He would go to the continent of Africa, and he would steal folks, and he'd bring them back, and he would sell them as slaves. And that's what he did. And then one day, his ship almost sank off off the coast of Ireland. And he found Jesus real quite quick. And he said one of those foxhole prayers, like, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you. And Jesus got him out of it. And the man of his word, he served Jesus. Not right away. Still wanted to buy some more people and sell them. But ultimately got completely convicted of that. So much so that he spent the rest of his life fighting against slavery. And in England, they outlawed slavery way before us, without any blood, right? No wars. You mostly know John Newton because he wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. This is the man who wrote this hymn. And we're going to sing that later because I'm talking about him. But what I really want to talk to you about is his wife, Polly. Her name was Mary, but he called her Polly. They were married for 40 years, and they loved each other very much. And then when she was in about 90 years old, she got cancer and died. And he went to work the very next day, full of joy. Preached three sermons and then preached his wife's funeral sermon. He was so joyful after her death that people accused him of not actually loving his wife. And so he ends up writing some stuff, and this comes from a biography of his. He said, the Lord strengthened me. Remember, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And I was strong, and it was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in my own eyes. Like, I was surprised. And in the eyes of my friends, indeed, some who did not know me said it was overdone and charged me with want of feelings, which is a fancy way of saying that I didn't even love my wife. And his biographer says, through many writings and sermons afterwards, it was clear he felt great joy over the knowledge that Polly was saved and now living in heaven. So he said, the women experienced fear and joy, and John Newton experiences sadness and joy. But the joy is still his strength. Not because he's seeking after happiness, not because joy is his goal, but because Jesus is their goal. And because their focus is on Jesus, remember the C language, they have the feelings of joy. Not because their focus is on happiness, it's because it's on Jesus. Their focus was Jesus, and that brought joy even in the midst of that sadness. This is one of my favorite New Testament scholars, Marcus Bachmule. He wrote this great book on Philippians, and inside of it he says, joy is not an optional benefit of the Christian life. If you don't got it, then maybe you need to reassess how you're walking with Jesus, because we know in the fruit of the Spirit that it's number two. When you walk in the Spirit, you got love, and then if you don't, thanks, yeah. If you don't got it, 
that deep abiding joy, then you may need to reassess your walk with Jesus. Even the Pope, Pope Frank, joy is the air Christians breathe. Jesus wants you to have joy. Jesus desires joy for you, but it comes from keeping your focus on him, not from focusing on the feeling. Lastly, what does God want us to do with this? There's a lot of do language in here, multiple times, and it's wrapped up in the seeing and the joy. And for me, it's this. Joy isn't the absence of fear and sadness. We already talked about that. It's the presence of purpose, Jesus' purpose to be specific. Look how many times they're given a mission. The angel, hurry, go, tell the disciples. He's been raised from the dead. First Easter sermon preached, Mary Magdalene. She preaches it to the apostles gathered together on Sunday morning, and she says, Hey, guess what? Good news. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Wild and radical. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there. I've given this message to you. That's what the angel says to these women. With great fear and excitement, they hurried away from the tomb. They meet Jesus. They fall down and worship Jesus. Jesus, in fewer words than the angel, says the same thing. Go. Go. Tell my brothers I'm going to Galilee and I will see them there. I have to tell you, listen, the gospel begins with go. And that's the cheesiest way I hope you'll remember it forever. (laughs) So many of us don't get this. We want the head knowledge, we want the heart transformation, but we don't do anything with it and it gets stuck and we never go. We never go and so we get stuck because it gets stuck. But the gospel begins with go. Why? Because God is our father and our father is the king. And God desires a close relationship with us. But part of that relationship is following after him on the mission to bring kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. You have a responsibility when you follow Jesus. You have stuff you have to do. So many of us don't have a purpose. We don't know what we're doing. We go to and fro, tossed about like the waves and the wind because we haven't figured this out. And I don't think it's your fault. I think our society is not built in a way that allows you to process and think about what your purpose is. It keeps you busy. It keeps you distracted. But Jesus desperately wants you to figure out that thing that you're supposed to do with your one wild and holy life. And we don't. And it's killing us. Literally. Literally. The suicide rates are skyrocketing with young men because there's no purpose. There's no meaning. You're either scrambling, trying to figure it out, or you've given up, right? These are the extremes we get, and I know a lot of young men who've given up, and I know a lot of people who are scrambling, and it doesn't feel like life is meaningful, and Jesus has a deeper meaning for you, a deeper meaning for you, a deeper meaning for you. This is Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl, if you don't know, was an incredible psychiatrist before Nazis took over. So popular, in fact, uh, that he was writing with Sigmund Freud at 13 years old. And Sigmund Freud thought he was such a genius that he took his letters, Victor's, and he submitted them to a psychology journal without him asking him. 13 years old, brilliant. Sigmund Freud, the father of modern psychology, Victor Frankl. And then when he was going through school to become a doctor of psychology, he started all these clinics to try to help young men not attempt and complete suicide. That was in 1941 and 1942. He and his whole family were arrested because he's Jewish, and they were taken to concentration camps. 
And so he's this brilliant psychiatrist in the midst of a concentration camp. And everyone he knows except one sister dies. His pregnant wife is killed. His mother and father are killed. His father's starved to death. His sister and brother are killed. One sister makes it to Australia, which I thought was wild. A wild detail in the midst of that. And he lives. He makes it through. And then in 1946, he sits down, and over a nine-day period, he writes this book. Nine days about his experience. Originally, it was called Psychiatrist in the Concentration Camps. That's what it's called in the German. And then when they reprinted it in the English, the man searched for meaning because his entire thesis, his entire point is that the people who survived one of the most oppressive situations known to humanity were those who were able to make meaning of their situation and have hope for the future. And those who gave up meaning and hope, in his estimation, are the ones who succumb to the violent, brutal regime. So he says two quotes, one about us and one about humanity. He says, it is a characteristic of American culture, hey, hey, that again and again, one is commanded and ordered to be happy. But happiness cannot be pursued. It can only ensue, which is a great turn of phrase that says it has to come from something, which is ultimately what he says. You got to have a reason to be happy. You can't just chase happiness. That is, he says, he says, actually chasing happiness will rob you of happiness. Remember, we talked about focus and feeling, right? He's, on, he, he's, he's with me here. But then he goes on and he says in his book, the more one forgets themselves by giving themselves to a cause to serve or another person to love, the more human they are. Meaning, he says, is what makes the difference. In fact, he created a whole school of, of psychology called logotherapy, which is all about helping people find their meaning and purpose in life. And he says, that's the thing that gives us hope and has help for the future. And he's saying that outside of Jesus. And here we are on Easter Sunday, and I'm telling you, Jesus is saying, go, 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 go. You have something to do. You have a purpose. The Holy Spirit has given you a gift, and you need to serve it, to use it, to edify your community, to build one another up, to serve your family. What are you doing with your one wild and holy life? Rick Warren says, you were made by God and for God, and until you understand that, life will make, never make sense. Never make sense. And I'm going to end with this quote. If you have any questions, send them. We are sent, this is Henry Nouwen, this Dutch priest, one of my favorites, Henri. He says, we are sent to wherever there is poverty and loneliness and suffering to have courage to be with people. Trust that by throwing yourself into that place of pain, you will find the joy of Jesus. Joy isn't the absence of sadness. It's the presence of purpose in Christ. The women's joy is connected to their Jesus job. And you got one too. And I'm desperately wanting you to find that. And maybe it's just doing what you already do with and for Jesus. I'm not asking you to do more. Heaven knows you're exhausted. I'm exhausted. Are you exhausted? I'm not asking you to do more. I'm just trying to ask you to do what you're doing with more purpose for Christ. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe it is something else. Maybe it is something else. But what I take away from this passage is that Jesus wants you to find your purpose, to make the most of this experience. Questions and comments. Please announce 
That youth group is meeting at Feather River Cinemas at 6 p.m. to watch Mario Brothers. Talk to Jeff if you want to. Thank you for the comment. I'm going to check one more place, and then I'm going to summarize this for us. Somebody said, you should have used uh, Pixar's Inside Out when you're talking about joy and sadness. And let me tell you, I use it every year. I looked at my sermon last year, and I used it. So you're right. I wanted to. Because the whole point of that movie is that Joy is so obsessive that she wants to take over everything. And it's only when she makes room for the other emotions that this person becomes whole and healthy. And I think Jesus' Joy does that. We see the women afraid and joyful at the same time. Joy is different than happiness. And Jesus wants you to have it. Sorry, I got all preachy again. Here's my summary. Jesus wants you to see a new world, a new way, new life that comes from resurrection. He's offering it to you. And Jesus wants you to experience deep joy that comes by staying focused on him against all the things that want you to die out there or get distracted or just die on the vine from neglect. Jesus wants you to stay focused and promises joy in the midst of that. And lastly, Jesus wants you to have a meaningful mission, a purpose that makes a difference. And I'm going to borrow your clipboard again. On this clipboard... I got a couple things that I've drawn up that I'd love to offer you. And if you're interested, hit me up. One of them is maybe you want to know more about Jesus. Maybe you want to see Jesus in a clearer way. I'd love to have coffee with you. I do them Saturdays. I'll come on your lunch break. We call this a little bit of discipleship, but we'll walk through Bible together, the seven most basic commands of Jesus. I'll do that with you. I'd want to do that with you. Just you and me. We'll talk about Jesus. Read some Bible together. Or maybe you're like, I'm missing joy. You said it was part of the life of Jesus, and I don't have it. We'll walk through seven spiritual practices that help us stay focused on Jesus. I'll do that with you. Your lunch break, mornings, Saturdays, some evenings. If you're interested, hit me up. That's the middle one. Or maybe it's the last one. Maybe you're like, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my mission is. I don't know where I belong. I want to have a more meaningful life. I got seven weeks on gifts, passions, uh, spiritual purpose, mission, If you want to do that, I'd be love to do that with you. This is my job. You're not bothering me. If you're interested, fill out one of these and put it in the basket. I'd love to contact you later. If you want more information, I'm happy to give that to you. There's some sheets on that back table that just kind of outline a little bit more what that's about. But I'd love to do that. Those of you who have messaged me in the past and it's been hard for me to get back to you, hit me again. I'd love to do it. But I'm not leaving you stranded. I'm not just saying have joy and find your purpose and look deeper. I'm here to help. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time. Thank you that we can come gathered in your name to hear this story again with fresh eyes and fresh vision. Help us to see you. Help us to experience you. We are here because we believe. We believe. We believe. Would you help us in our unbelief? Would you help us where we struggle? Would you help us where we are blind and unable to see? Where we are lacking joy? Where we are lacking purpose? We are here because we want something. We are missing it. And we don't want to. Hear our prayer, Lord. Guide us and direct us. Meet us as you promised to do in this bread, and this cup, and the one another, and the singing, whatever it is, we pray that you would meet us here. Table Church, will you help me in this prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer? Saying, 
our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.